Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming. Host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Felix Gillette and John Koblin are co-authors of It's Not TV, The Spectacular Rise, Revolution, and Future of HBO. 
Felix is the enterprise editor for Bloomberg News Media Entertainment and Telecom team, as well as a features writer for Bloomberg Businessweek. He has covered the business of media and technology for over a dozen years and has worked as a staff writer at the Washington City Paper, the Columbia Journalism Review, the Village Voice, and the New York Observer. John Copeland is a media reporter for the New York Times covering the television industry. He reports on the companies and personalities behind the scripted TV boom, as well as the networks that broadcast the news. Prior to joining the Times, he covered media at the New York Observer, Women's Wear Daily, and Deadspin. Welcome, Felix and John. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss It's Not TV, the spectacular rise, revolution, and future of HBO. Thank you, Zibby. Thanks, Zibby. Congratulations on your book. I was just saying, like, I love business books and profiles like this. And I feel like one of my favorite books was Disney War, which you mentioned in this book. And I read mm-hmm. that years ago on my first honeymoon and was just like, okay. That should have been, but okay, anyway, I won't go there. But anyway, this is a great expose and and really the success of how, what it means to have your brand change over time, how how you have to like pivot and all the things and deal with different industry forces. And it's also just like a wonderful retrospective of some of the best shows of all time, which also mm-hmm. was I feel like I got entertained just remembering so many and just marveling at the fact that one network had actually produced all these. You don't necessarily think about the arc of it all. So it was great. So why, why did you two decide to do this book? Why this deep dive and what were you looking for? And was this what you wanted? This is a lot of questions. So yeah, well, I think part of it was that, you know, we kind of watched in the late 90s and 2000s, this incredible revolution that happened out of HBO and these shows that you mentioned, you know, The Sopranos and Sex in the City and Six Feet Under, and that this one network had had such a huge impact in comedy and documentaries and, and drama. And we were kind of like both as people who've written about the media a lot and about entertainment, we're just kind of really curious, like, how did it happen? Because, you know, a lot of these revolutionary businesses, if you want to write a book about what happened in online retail, you can point to Amazon, you can point to Jeff Bezos. Or if you want to know about home computing, you can write, you know, point to Apple and Steve Jobs or whatever. In HBO, there wasn't really one single figure that, you know, you could say, oh, that person was really responsible for it. It was this huge collective effort. And it took place over decades. It was really, this is, you know, HBO is coming up on its 50th anniversary. And so part of it, I think, the part of the appeal was like, let's go back. Let's figure out who the important characters were. Let's figure out what the major decisions that they made that they got right. Let's look into the decisions they got wrong. And we thought that would be an incredible narrative in and of itself. And that also there would be all these great lessons for other people who are in creative fields, that they would be entertained. It would be fun to go back and remember these shows, figure out where they came from. And also you know, would walk away with feeling like, oh, I get it. I get the HBO playbook. And in a way, like HBO is sort of our Trojan horse. Television has changed a lot over the last 25 years. There are a lot more shows than there have ever been. The In terms of the elevation of the genre, I mean, it has eclipsed the film industry now. It is a revered art form in America at this point. So we used HBO to take a look at all those changes really since the late 1990s. And I think the finally, the other, you know, intriguing aspect to us about HBO is that, you know, the era that HBO has ruled over and had so much impact on, which is the cable and satellite era of home entertainment, when we were starting to work on this project and first conceiving it, 
you know, everyone's kind of aware, well, this era is ending. And there's this new era with streaming entertainments that everything is shifting towards that. And so that was the other appeal was like, what's going to happen to HBO? Is HBO going to make the be able to make the transition to the streaming world? You know, they had this new upstart Netflix that was really, you know, taking the lead in the new field. And that's also one of these great business dynamics that you see time and time again, like the innovator's dilemma, where the incumbent, you know, that has ruled over one era of technology, the technology changes and they get kind of caught up in their own success and struggle to make that transition. And all of that really has played out while we were, you know, writing the book. So it's amazing to think of how different the landscape is in 2022 than it was when we started in 2019. So it was fun to also even as we were digging into the history and learning about all the stuff that took place over the past 50 years, we were also getting in real time to be able to chronicle how these changes were happening in the industry. Wow. Did you have any pushback from people inside HBO or was it easy to get all the information you wanted? I think that, you know, it was such a collective effort over the year and there's so many people that made valuable contributions to HBO that, you know, there wasn't any one person that, you know, could say yes or no, I'm going to talk to you and it would make it, you know, a huge difference. And for the most part, you know, everyone was really cooperative and helpful and wanted to, you know, tell their role in this broader story. Um, so, yeah, we had great participation from, you know, executives inside HBO that, you know, over the years, the show creators, we got to you know, interview some of our, you know, the creators of some of our favorite shows, which is really exciting to get to talk to David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, and, you know, talk to David Simon, the creator of The Wire. And and so, yeah, it was incredibly fun, that aspect of the reporting also. It eased the burden that there wasn't, like, one make make it or break yeah. it, like, interview. That, that did help. It was so interesting to hear about the inspiration for so many of these shows, including David Chase's inspiration for Sopranos and even what it was like working with, you know, Tony Soprano, how it was Tommy Soprano originally, which I didn't know. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even with James Gandolfini, what that was like with him on set and how he didn't show up a few times. And my husband's actually a producer, so I know what all the days mean, like how everything is all set up. And the fact that like somebody just would not show up seems like... Oh my gosh, I can't believe he would do that for days on end. Oh my gosh. And yet it it rebounded. And I loved how you talked about everyone watching it when it aired that last episode of it. And I I think it was David Chase and his baby carriage and like having to leave the room and wondering like what everybody thought about it. And I don't... Yeah, it was one of the other writers. It was actually Terry Winter, who was a writer. Terry Winter. Right. And he was visiting in-laws in New York. Yes. To watch the final episode. And they were all sitting around and they'd be like, tell us what's going to happen. He's like, no, no, like, yeah, I can't spoil the surprise, but you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And then when it ended and it cut to black, and there was silence. Everyone, they were all like, "What? What's going yeah. on?" And freaking out. And they're like, "Tell us what happened." And yeah. he's like, uh, "I think the baby woke up." Yeah. And, he's like, <laughs> and people thought their screens weren't working right, or yeah. they were, like it went out or something. I mean, that's that was tremendously fun. Sort of getting all that backstory in there. I mean, David Chase was this frustrated, successful but very frustrated TV writer for years and years and years. And he wanted a fresh idea and he had a you know sort of difficult or fraught relationship with his mother. He turned it into comedy gold at cocktail parties. He would dine out on stories about his mother. And David Chase's wife was like, you know, you should consider doing something about that. 
And David Chase was also in therapy. And it's like, well, what if I combine these two things? Difficult mother, fraught relationship with the mother, therapy, add a mobster element, and then away we go. The Sopranos eventually makes its way to HBO. Crazy. You know, one thing that I loved, because I think about this in terms of book publishing a lot and what books end up being successes and what makes an, uh, some artistic creation successful. Mm-hmm. And what you, what one of the sort of through line theories here is that there is no one formula, of course, but HBO seems to be able to try the things that would sound like maybe they wouldn't succeed. Like when, like succession, even when you, when you say, oh yeah, do you want to watch a show about billionaires in the office or something? You'd be like, well, no, yeah. maybe not. But then, it, but then it works. And so the ability to, to see something that everybody logically you might think, no, this doesn't make sense. That's because it's not about what makes sense when it, when hits are created, it, it's mm-hmm. something else and you can't quantify it or necessarily identify it using regular metrics and measures. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that's one of the fascinating lessons of HBO is that now we're in this world where it's so in vogue to say, oh, you know, whoever has the best data on customers, they're going to win everything. Right. And what's amazing about HBO is HBO was always really a wholesaler. They didn't deal directly with customers. They, you know, sent out their programming to the cable operators around the country and the cable operators managed the relationship with the customers. And as a result of that, HBO never had any idea who their customers were. They had no data whatsoever. And so they had to rely on something else. And what they really relied on was trusting these artists and finding artists and listening to their visions. And yeah, Casey Bloys, who's you know the current currently oversees all the programming for HBO and HBO Max, he kind of said there's a great passage in the book where he was talking about that, where it's like, yeah, data is valuable to us in 2022. It's great in like broad strokes to know what's happening in the market and making, you know, marketing issues it's it's valuable in all these ways but it's not it's gonna you know it can tell you what customers liked in the past but it's not going to ever tell you what they like in the future and these ideas that have connected with people and these stories that have connected people like you said a lot of times they just don't really sound like they would work ahead of time but you have to be able to take that gamble and that risk and put that trust in the artists that you believe in and i think that HBO has done that to an incredible degree over the years, and that's really a key part of their success. I mean, Felix and I have been writing and covering, uh, writing about and covering HBO for years. So I remember in the run-up to Succession in 2018, I saw like billionaires and other just like insidery media story, and I was rolling my eyes, and I think a lot of people were. I think it premiered in June of 2018, and even HBO executives had sort of measured expectations. Remember at that time there was a person at HBO who's like succession utility player. It, it fits in between a schedule where we have two bigger shows. And yet the reason why it was such a success, Jesse Armstrong, the creator of Succession, HBO had they had cultivated that relationship with him for years and years and years. They just believed in him. They're like, if he wants to give this a whirl, let him give it a whirl and let's see what happens. And there you have it. I mean, HBO has one of its most critically praised shows. And a show that has won Best Drama at the Emmys now two times. It's pretty incredible. But it, there is a playbook. There's a Succession is not a mistake because HBO does trust the artist. And I think like another part of that was so fascinating when we were digging into the history is like, where did that idea come from at HBO? 
And we really trace it back to this moment that was really crucial in the mid '90s, because in the early years, for the first 20 years, HBO, you know, the the name itself, HBO stands for the Home Box Office. So initially, the idea was like, we're going to show people things that you would need a ticket to yep. see out in the real world. So movies, sporting events, comedy performances, music concerts, TV, not really, because TV you don't need a ticket for. Anyone can see TV in the home, and you know the broadcast networks are so powerful and they have such a control over the culture. Like we're not going to go head to head and do what TV is doing. We're going to do it differently. And so they avoided, for the most part, doing serialized television shows for the first 20 years. And then at some point in the 90s, they started realizing that, like, you know, no matter how great one single event is, like seeing Dolly Parton in concert in London or seeing Jerry Seinfeld do his stand-up performance uh, on Broadway, that's a one-off event. And if we really want to hold on to our customers and keep them coming back week after week, every Sunday, like we need to start doing these serialized shows. And then it became the question of like, well, what can we offer TV creators and TV writers that they can't have at the networks? We can't give them as much money. We can't give them like, you know, you'll get filthy rich when it goes into syndication, you know, in 10 years. Like, what are we going to give them? And pretty a pretty crucial insight that they had was like, you know what? We can give you freedom. We can give you freedom that you couldn't have on the broadcast networks because we don't have advertising. We don't have commercial sponsors. You're not going to have sponsors looking over your shoulders saying, I don't really want you to touch that controversial subject. I don't want you, you know, can you make the characters a little bit more likable? You're not going to have a standards and you know department looking over your shoulder and saying, hey, let's steer away from whatever, AIDS, abortion, like, let's keep it, let's keep it in a safe zone. Like, you're not going to have that. We're going to give you total freedom to take the story where you want to take it. And that was so appealing to veteran TV writers and people. And if you look at those first run of shows and who created them, Sex and the City came from Darren Starr. Darren Starr had already had a lot of success in commercial broadcast television. He created Melrose Place, 90210, but he was incredibly frustrated with dealing with networks. And when he came up with Sex and the City and, and you know decided to go and do it with HBO, he was thinking of it as almost like an independent film, like indie mm-hmm. film kind of style. He did not expect it to be a huge commercial success, but they allowed him to go to places he couldn't have gone earlier in his career. And it turned into a huge hit. Same with David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos. He'd worked successfully in broadcast television for years and also was very frustrated with the rules. Um, Tom Fontana, who created Oz, you know, he had had a successful run with Homicide on NBC. Um, And Alan Ball, who created Six Feet Under, he also uh, had worked in commercial television. And they all kind of fit that same mold. And when you give people who have worked in the medium for a long time under very strict rules, and you turn them over and say, okay, do what you want to do. Like, it's just very powerful. And I think that's the lesson that continues to play out. And the reason that HBO continues to keep capturing the zeitgeist, you know, year after year after year, that's a huge part of the, the lessons that come out of this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Look. It's kind of like my kids at recess. You know, you, you like, you, you're still in your uniform, but you get to go out and do things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did learning about all of the peaks and valleys of this whole network and all of the events and everything, how did this impact the way you see other companies, the way you see entertainment in general? Like, how has it affected your analytical, <laughs> how has it affected how you, yeah, how you see the business in general? I think part of the way it's impacted it is, I mean, the HBO brand itself is such a fascinating, you know, it's such a strong brand and thinking about how they've built up the brand over the years and, you know, made a lot of decisions about doing everything to build up HBO as a notion that says prestige, that says edgy, that says top quality. And, you know, we have, you know, Another concept that came out of this book that I thought was really fun to learn about was like, we we talk about the HBO shrug and the HBO shrug was kind of like shorthand for this attitude that HBO had as it got, as the, as the network matured, where they weren't going to worry so much about how they spent money on their key products, that they were going to be pretty loose and be, you know, Air on the side of like, you know what? Like, is it going to cost more money to make this show to make it look really great? Yeah, okay. We'll give it an extra $10 million. We'll figure out how to make it up on the back end. It's going to look great. It's going to look better. And again, it'll it'll contribute to the overall halo of HBO brand. And I think that also, that like looseness and trust that if you spend the money on a creative product and you give the creators leeway to do what they really need to do. You know, the Sopranos is a great example that, you know, David Chase was very adamant that like when he was pitching it to HBO, he really wanted to shoot in New Jersey and not just do it, you know, in Toronto or Los Angeles and then have someone go take some exteriors out in New Jersey. Like he really wanted the show to soak up the, the whole atmosphere of New Jersey that he was shooting in. And I think that was so crucial. It cost a lot more money to do it that way, 
But HBO is very supportive from the beginning. Like, yes, get out there, do it. Like, we want to see that. And when you rewatch The Sopranos, as I did while we were writing this book, it's amazing to me all the shots and like scenes that take place down in these weird, you know, outdoor industrial rivers that are like, you know, just and you can kind of smell the whole place and feel it. And it just made such a huge difference. And again, if they had been worried up front, like, oh, you know, let's just do it for the the least amount of money we can do it for. It would not have been the same. It would not have come off the same. So that's one of the things I see a lot of times where, you know, is a business doing everything it can to support the artist. And, you know, that, again, kind of cuts against the current zeitgeist, which is a lot of times in business now, it's all about listen to the customer, listen to mm-hmm. the customer, listen to the customer. But yeah, getting back to the same idea, like sometimes you really just need to listen to the artist. And <laughs> people don't know. People don't know what they want. Yeah. And I think it's instructive. Like over those 50 years, HBO has survived like like near fatal blows. I mean, going back to like the rise of the VCR in the 1980s. Yeah. And so I yeah, and then we move into streaming and then corporate takeovers. And HBO has weathered every blow. I think the book will be appealing to people. For exactly the reason you mentioned, Zibby, the fact that like there are so many HBO shows where it's like, I love that one. I love this one. I love that one. But if you don't watch a lot of TV or you're not a big HBO fan, the book can provide sort of this blueprint of how a company can survive, how a culture can survive and thrive amid multiple challenges over the decades. You know, it is funny because I'm usually pretty resistant to change. You know, like I like restaurants that look exactly the same now as they did when I was a kid. But HBO, like I remember the swirling logo with the stars. Do you remember that? With that oh, yeah. song and everything. And and I, and yet I'm still tuning in. Like I, I don't hold it against them, any of the change. So whatever they're doing, they've sort of taken us along, which is great. Yeah. So and even learning about all of the even some of the like the sexual abuse of executives and like all of the sordid tales of like what was going on, like behind the screen and all of that, like it just adds to sort of the mystique of, of how this brand can withstand so much when other huge brands during the same period of time, like Kodak or something Mm -hmm. have just disappeared brands that I thought would be here forever. And we're like Mm -hmm. the biggest deal ever controlling entire cities. So I don't know. I'm fascinated with how brands can just either get it or not get it over time. And such a great example of a brand that really gets it. What is your favorite? What is each of your favorite HBO shows? I love The Wire still to me is like the high watermark in my mind. My favorite show is still, you know, David Simon, the Baltimore, just like the whole Baltimore scene going from like the drug trade to the dealers, to the city council members, to, you know, and all peeling back all these layers and exposing you know, what went wrong in kind of this post-industrial city, just mesmerizing, still love it. I mean, I feel like this question should be like, what's your favorite HBO show other than The Sopranos? But I I will say The Sopranos, because even when Felix was discussing, you know, so you could sort of smell New Jersey, you could feel New Jersey. I grew up in that part of New Jersey, the pizzeria and the opening credits of The Sopranos, that was around the corner from my grandmother's house where I lived in high school. Oh my gosh. Um, so, like, I'm deeply invested in that show. But, I mean, like you, Zibby, like, the sort of swirl and the stars of, like, here's the HBO movie that's coming on. I've been watching it since I was a kid. Like, Saturday nights were my favorite night of the week because that's when HBO 
would premiere a movie that had just been in theaters six yep. or eight months earlier. And we, me and my dad, we'd gather around the TV and watch it. And then within a few years, HBO started doing original series. So suddenly I loved Saturday and Sunday night. So this network has been like part of my life, like for the last three decades in a really like powerful way. Yep. And now I get to cover it professionally. So it's like, it's a professional story. It's a personal story for me, but it's like, I don't know. HBO's got something. There's some like secret sauce. It just like really gets in your head. Like you can think about those things where it's like, oh my God, it's an HBO movie. This is so exciting. Like, and it's uh, also one of those things that's super fun to debate with your friends. Like, you know, they think talking about HBO has always been really fun. And that was part of the appeal to the book is like talking with people. What's the best HBO comedy? Oh, I think it's Silicon Valley or I think it's yeah, Veep, yeah. or, you know, no, Larry Sanders. Like you have right, to go right. back and watch Larry Sanders. And just like the, the fact that, you know, we watched that transformation in our lifetime where, you know, it, it became something that people wanted to talk about so much. Even, you know, the fact that you can go to college campuses now and there's, you know, classes and syllabus, you know, oh about, you know, these shows <laughs> and like you know, where they came from and the, the implications culturally. It's just kind of amazing, especially when you, you know, as we did in this book, think back to like, you know, the origins of HBO and how much it was kind of on the fringe of Hollywood when it started. And, you know, we tell the story of, you know, when HBO finally decided after a couple of years in, in the 1980s, they decided, you know, we're going to start making our own original movies because, you know, there's not enough product coming out of Hollywood to keep our customers happy all week. And, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to cut us out anyways and come up with their own service where they could, you know, go directly to customers, go around us. So we're going to make our own movies. And when HBO first said they were going to make movies, people kind of mocked them and mm -hmm. laughed at them like, oh, this, yeah, yeah, those are going to be terrible. Like, they're not going to be able to figure out, like, how to make original programming. And, like, they don't know how to do that. They're just a distributor of our movies. Yeah. And so it is kind of incredible to watch that transformation and how they got from there to, you know, creating these shows that are talked about and, you know revolutionizing the medium and you know taught in colleges and all of this so crazy makes me feel kind of old to be honest <laughs> zibby can i turn it around what are your favorite hbo shows i have to say sex in the city oh. i've watched i mean i was actually an extra on one episode when i was 20 something and it was like the highlight of my life which one which episode um samantha was at lotus meeting smith jared during that period of time when she was dating him and mm -hmm. i was in the background and they were like show up in your coolest going out clothes and i am not a cool dresser at all anyway so i showed up in like what i thought was a cool going out outfit and they looked at me and they were like wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> so I had to wear some outfit I felt completely uncomfortable in. And then after this whole day, and I was there forever, when I went to like screen it with all my girlfriends, it was like, wait, if you pause it, you can see there. You know, like that's my eyebrow in that scene. That's where I was standing. So I was like, I can't go into acting. This is too slow for me. <laughs> but I've loved so many shows and I loved your book. And I'm so glad I learned more about it and the people behind it and being able to look at something that I love. And I'm a, a, a brand loyalist too, and hearing so much about, I don't know, I found it absolutely fascinating, even though I'm speaking rather inarticulately about it, but I really enjoyed it. So congratulations. It's a great book. And I can't wait to hear what else you profile going forward. Is there another thing on the imminent horizon or no? We have to find the next topic. Okay. <laughs> the next topic. Yeah, we're taking suggestions. 
right. I think you should do something in publishing. I would be interested. Okay. But anyway, goodbye. Thank you. All Great right. Thank you. you so much. Libby. Right. It was amazing. Take care. Okay. You, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 